We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 10th day of June, the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. And for twice in one week, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking. I hope you both are as well. Yeah, I'm healthy and alive. Excellent. Marty, I'm so sorry to drag you on twice in one week. I know it's like it's like dragging the uh, dragging the wild horses out to, to get you on twice a week. Uh, but I want to thank you for... Uh, <laughs> For taking, it's an old Midwestern saying, wild horses couldn't drag me away kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time. I, I know you're a busy guy and you've got a lot planned. So uh, we'll get through this as quickly and as painlessly as possible, I assure you. As long as you understand that there are people online who are not receiving the benefit of my wit, humor and extreme accuracy when it comes to first person shoot em ups. I'm sure Ned is very disappointed in the fact that you're not able to attend this evening. Uh, well, Ned, Ned was briefed. He he did. He is aware, and I believe. I, well, I hope you might be talking to him tomorrow. Well, I will call him in the morning to confirm that. We shall see. Anyhow, just um, tickle, let's, tickle his ego a bit. He'll be on. <laughs> that's I, I do that to both of you. That's my that's my secret. I know, you, you I, oh, I know. The, the 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 difference is I'm I'm cognizant of the fact. Whereas oh, I see. You know, <laughs> well, you are an analyst, and that's exactly why. I asked you to be here this evening because of the analytical skills that you possess that are far above anything that we can offer here. Just you on can our, stop on our the, the tickling of the ego now. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So a couple of days ago, I ran across an interview. Now, I had heard inklings of this, talk of this, that there was a 56-minute recording from a, uh, a military civilian meeting in Guangdong province in China. And at this meeting, there was a discussion that they are preparing for some type of military act in, in some way, shape, or form. They're, they're going to be doing massive amounts of movement militarily in one way or another, and they're trying to keep it under wraps. They're trying to keep it uh, disguised. We knew that when China started to lock down again because of severe COVID cases, they locked down Shanghai and Shenzhen and, and Beijing and all these places. We thought, what on earth are they doing? Because none of this is about COVID. I mean, we, we know this up to this point. None of this is about COVID. So we're not going to discuss anything outside of what was in this interview today. We got a hold of a, of a transcript. Uh, and the transcript is up on our Telegram page for those that want to see it. Uh, if you don't want to see it, you can go over to jrnyquist.blog and you can read it there. It's titled Beijing's War Plan. In this document uh, and in this interview, which both of you and, and myself included, have, uh, we've all read this, and they discuss in here what some of the plans either are or possibly could be and what China's objectives are and how Russia's involved in this. So let's jump right into it here. I will read the opening preface to this and then we can discuss various parts of the interview at your at your guys' leisure uh, going down through there. I mean, I'm sure we have different points. We can cover each one of those points. Mr. Nyquist, who is he was on track to become an educator in the United States and 
he was told that if he did not become a communist, then he had no future in education. And so he refused. And at that point, they proceeded to destroy him and destroy any hopes that he had as a uh, as an educator uh, in being in that type of uh, line of work. So as a result, he's become an intellectual. He's done several debriefs for the United States government for KGB defectors that have defected to the West. Uh, he's also written six books that are on Amazon. You can look it up on uh, on Amazon, the books that he authored. And he runs his website. And this is all he does. He gives interviews. He's an expert on uh, the international communist conspiracy. And he's an expert on the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and even the uh, even the current state of things over there. And he's also an expert on communist China uh, and various parts of uh, Marxist-Leninist regimes throughout Central and South America as well. So he's very qualified. Uh, and he conducted an interview with uh, an organization called Lude Media. And it says here in the beginning, they acquired a 56 minute recording of a military civil meeting in Guangdong province tasked with preparing China for war. According to Mr. Wong, the Chinese Communist Party is financing Russia's war in Ukraine. This is what we ended with yesterday. There's no deal that can be made with Russia and with Putin because there's no deal to be had. The war is being financed by China. It's not being financed by Russia. They can't afford it. However, he says that Russia's best forces are not being used in Ukraine, which we already knew. They've been deployed in the Far East, prepared for action against America, which we'll talk about that in detail. That's a point I want to cover. According to Lude Media sources, China will try to use nuclear blackmail and unrestricted warfare to collapse the United States while forcing Taiwan, Japan, and South Korea under Chinese control. Failing this, China and Russia will launch a full-scale war against the United States. The Russian and Chinese fleets will be united, not in the same ocean. That's very important. But by attacking the same continent, North America, the Russians will attack through the Arctic and the Chinese will attack through the Pacific, both of which are key points. Marty being a career naval man and also being an analyst, he will explain all of this. And I'm sure we have plenty to talk about on those things. According to Mr. Wang, the Chinese, uh, the lockdowns in China have been used to hide the deployment of mobile intercontinental ballistic missiles and other weapons. Streets have been cleared and highways closed for this purpose. To avoid satellite detection, Missile convoys have been disguised as medical or COVID convoys. Lude Media has also reported that Russia and China have, a, have an agreement to invade and occupy North America, dividing the territory between them. Lude Media has many contacts in China, people who believe in freedom and want to bring down the Chinese Communist Party. Even as the CCP has declared a people's war against the West, anti-communists in China have declared a people's war against the Chinese Communist Party. They want to warn Americans about the China-Russia alliance. They want to warn our leaders to know that they must resist the CCP at all costs. There could be no negotiating with Moscow and Beijing. America must not abandon her allies in Asia. If we fail to defend those allies, we will find ourselves isolated and economically broken. So let's start with step one. What's it all about? China's standpoint at the moment is, as it has been for a long time, is about the contested territories within the Pacific. China is is running out of food. China is running out of fresh water. It's got a massive population under a totalitarian Marxist communist government. And so therefore, that government is uh, duty bound to provide an awful lot for its people. However, I think they're finding that difficult. And as a bit of a distraction from the way people are starting to notice how bad their lives are, lack of uh, regular food, lack of fresh water, all those other things, including the restrictions that were put upon people during the pandemic. I think they're just basically trying to distract their vast populace 
with something else. And and this something else is is possibly a move to bring Taiwan back into the fold. Some of the islands that are currently occupied by the Philippines as well in in the Pacific back into Chinese uh, control. So so that's what I think it's about from from that perspective. But all of everything that's happening at the moment is multi-layered. There are reasons that support reasons that support reasons. And each layer you go up or down, whichever way you want to look at it, the level of secrecy uh, and the, the fewer people that are aware of those reasons, there are. So from a global perspective, we know that there are many um, actors trying to move towards a global government. And all of these moves would have to take place, removing sovereignty from lots of different countries and bringing them all under another bigger net. So without me going on too much to begin with, in this uh, interview, Lude alludes to the fact that the Chinese want to have Japan within its sphere of control and the island chain around Taiwan and Korea. So. There's a North and South Korea, of course. But these countries, though, historically, the, like the Japanese, the Chinese, the South Koreans, they, they, they don't get along. They hate each other. Yeah. They, they, there's been very nasty wars. The Chinese have got more reason to hate the Japanese, to be honest, for the way in which the Japanese army, the Imperial Army, behaved in Manchuria. And Chinese people that I know detest the Japanese for that reason. And 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 it's the same same um, relationship with Japan and Russia. You know, you go back to the yeah. Russo-Japanese War. That's not a good relationship there either. And there's disputed territories and disputed islands between the Russians and the Chinese now already. Yeah. But the kind of individuals that you've got leading these Russian, two sorry, did I say the Russians and the Chinese? I meant to say the Russians and the Japanese. My mistake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the sorts of individuals you've got leading Russia and China at the moment, um, they don't really care uh, about who thinks what of whom. They just want to flex and, and see how far their flex can get them. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the real reason for all this that they need to grab those territories and remove sovereignty from those countries so that they become a bigger blob, and then that blob will expand to take over another group of of sovereign countries until we get to the point where we have that global government that the new world order the 3000 people that we've talked about ad infinitum uh, are desperate to have mm -hmm. yeah and to be quite honest with you the 3000 people that we're talking about here in the west if the chinese are allowed to do this uh, or if the chinese do do this and double cross them the 3000 people aren't going to be the 3000 people they'll be gotten rid of uh, because that's just oh, they'll be burnt they'll be burnt in an instant absolutely um, there, absolutely there's an old proverb which is beware of strong allies because if you make an alliance with a, an infinitely stronger country that country effectively becomes your ruler. You become a vassal. Look at what's happened to the UK. We're, you know, we're the 51st state, effectively, or used to be. And that's that's a problem. <laughs> I can see your face that you're well, not yeah. happy with that. But. Well, the, the, the Germans have always been the 51st state because we've just kind of, we, we've stuck ourselves here and we've got a garrison here and we've just never left. So we, we've always yeah. been kind of Yeah, unfortunately, state. if Germany had kept up its proper spend on NATO, yeah. Um, 
then some of this probably wouldn't have been happening. Um, That's true. Because NATO would would wouldn't have been as weakened as it has been by French, German, and all the other European uh, Union countries that have underspent their agreed amount. Uh, of GDP on defense. Bruce, you got a comment there before we jump on to talk. I, I want to talk about the their first move here. No, nah, I was I was okay. sorry, I was distracted. I was I was no, looking okay. into that's right. lewd media. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Let's uh hey, let's, just, let's just get this out of the way first. Lewd media sounds like yeah. a porn you channel. Find? It does. What what you it, find? It, it does <laughs> sound like it does sound like a porn channel, but uh it looks like so they have a YouTube. Um yeah. the YouTube is all in Chinese. There there is no English uh, speaking there. Uh, so I, I can't go in and be like, well, this, these are the things he said back in March, and this is what actually happened. I can't go back and verify any of that. But I was just picking up on small things in the videos and trying to figure out, is he in America? Is he still in China or Japan? Is this, you know, trying to figure out if there's anything that I could piece together that says he's just a CCP agent or if he's legit or, you know, any yeah. of those kind of things. Um, He's staying at Choice Hotels. That's all I know. Uh, that's all I could. I, <laughs> he takes a drink at one point and it's a paper cup that says uh, Choice Privilege. And so I looked into that in Choice Hotels. Uh -huh. And so he okay. could be in Tokyo. He could be in the U.S. I don't know. At the moment, uh, I want to focus on uh, on what, which a lot of the stuff is some of the, we've, we've already suspected a lot of the stuff anyway, but this just kind of nails down what our suspicions were to begin with. But uh, that could also be done intentionally. So don't dismiss that with some of the points we're going to uh, to get into. Let's talk about their first um, their first step. It says here, the first step, what would their first step be? Would China put their Navy out and say, we're blockading Taiwan? Is this the first step they're going to take? And according to the response to that, the first step is to put Taiwan in an entrapment. So they'll use all uh, they'll use all kinds of blockade, a total blockade. So if aircraft bring supplies to Taiwan because they're on island, after all, they'll be shot down. The response was, if the U.S. forces want to break the blockade, the People's Liberation Army will start shooting. If U.S. force is scared off or if U.S. forces are defeated, the blockade will halt. Then Taiwan's situation will be desperate. Taiwan will see that America is not helping them, so Taiwan will be very easy to take. This right here, and thank God that some evil psychotic dictator from mainland Europe, and I'm not talking about Mussolini, in the 40s, thank God he never figured this part out. If he would have blockaded, if he, if he would have put all of his resources into shipbuilding and blockaded England, he could have blockaded you into actual surrender, as opposed to trying the tactics that they did of bombing you. So um, this is what they're wanting to do well, with Taiwan. At least that's what it sounds like anyway. Yeah, you're partially right. But the Battle of the Atlantic, which all of our resources were coming from America, um, food, equipment, materials were coming across the Atlantic from America. And, we all, and also America was supplying Russia at the same time. The Second World War basically lifted the United States out of the depression of the 1930s. And the Lend-Lease program reinvigorated the American economy, the North American economy, enormously. The fact that you weren't being standfast Hawaii bombed on a regular basis helped that. But Germany were trying to develop very long-range bombers and nuclear weapons to reach North America to, to bring that, that threat to your doorstep as well. But we were under an effective blockade because the Channel and the North Sea 
everything on that western seaboard was under German occupation. So the only route in was across the Atlantic, and that was being attacked regularly by um, maritime patrol aircraft and submarines, the the wolf packs, the U-boats. So we were under a blockade. It's just that we fought our way through it. And, you know, an awful lot of shipping was lost to U-boat attacks. Different war, different time, fought in a different way. Uh, And a lot of the time, sheer dumb luck helped the convoys get through. But it took a lot of very hard lessons for the Royal Navy and the Merchant Navy at the time to learn how to cope with those convoys and get them across and take care of the U-boat threat. So when it comes to blockading an island like Taiwan, yeah, uh, a ring of, uh, of ships and aircraft around it would work at the moment. It, it really would, because we're not in a declared war. So there's a reluctance to engage, and that reluctance will endure up to the point where one side or the other fires first, and, and then all hell will be let loose. I was told around two years ago that if the Chinese were ever to move on Taiwan, we were unable to stop that. If we were unable to reinforce Taiwan, because we actually have, this is one of the things that Trump declassified on his way out of office. Uh, We actually have a, a treaty between the United States, Australia, and Japan to defend Taiwan in the event that China tries to invade it. That wasn't supposed to be known. That was supposed to be classified for 30 years, but he declassified it on his way out. Uh, Apart from that, I was told that we would actually have to, how do I put it? We would have to destroy certain things within Taiwan, as in like microchip manufacturers. We would have to level those factories into nothingness and completely destroy them to stop them from falling into the hands of the Chinese. That's not an uncommon thing to have to happen. You know, the scorched earth policy that you leave nothing behind for your enemy to use. The Royal Navy had to sink the French fleet in the Mediterranean because we couldn't get the people to them to man the ships. Sorry, we're not allowed to say man the ships anymore. It's complement the ships or or person the ships. I'm, I'm not even joking. I don't That's know, something I, don't I have know. to be aware of all the time. So they had to be scuppered, they had to be sunk, and the Vichy French, who who were on the the point, well, were going to cooperate with the Germans, would have had quite a controlling influence in the Mediterranean had those ships not been sunk. So it's not an uncommon thing to have to destroy an ally's assets to prevent them from going into the hands of the enemy. Biden has already said that if... Taiwan ever goes into, you know, it, it, it ever is contested like this, that America would go to war. I mean, that, that he's, he's already said that if something happens there, that he will defend Taiwan. Now, this has been posturing that the U.S. has done for a long time. They've said they would and wouldn't at the same time. Like, they've made it very vague for years. This is the first time that a president has actually come out and said, yeah, we're, we're actually going to do it. This is the, the, the funny thing about what Johnny was just saying about this, this mutual defence pact between uh, the US, Australia and Japan. Those kinds of pacts are only any use if they're known about, if the people know what they are, because every country's government that decides to take them into a conflict needs that public support. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. So... 
the fact that this was supposed to be denoticed for 30 years surprises me and and i i i'm sorry i'm not i'm not deliberately coming down hard on on the donster but i smell a bit of a rat there and and having read some of the transcript of this interview i'm smelling more you know rodent type things so these packs are only any good if your people know about them because that way when they are broken by the enemy the people the groundswell of opinion becomes patriotic and supportive of your allies that have been attacked we in in the uk i, I remember having this this argument with someone quite close to me um and in the middle of this argument he said well it's, it, it's the uk's fault they declared war on germany Right, the UK started World War Two by declaring war on Germany. Funny, I don't. Remember it's actually reading that. Well, it it's actually true. It's actually true. But the reason the UK entered the war with Germany was because they attacked Poland, and we had a mutual defence pact that's true. with Poland. Yeah, but the people knew about it, yeah. so we did declare war first. But it was because of that attack into Poland, and. Apropos of nothing of this conversation, what happened after the Second World War to Poland was absolutely disgusting, that it was handed over to the Soviets. But like I say, beware of strong allies. The Russians were too strong to stop at that point. And we had to, because the UK had been fighting for a whole five years, the US for three years, and the Russians had just kept pouring further and further west with it with an enormous army very little equipment yeah, but, but an enormous think army. About how many they, yeah but think about how many they lost in the meantime oh they they'd already lost they'd already lost quite a, a yeah. few million uh-huh. um, more than quite a few as a result as a result of stalin's you know witch hunts and and yeah. you know removal of anyone who were not in line with the party on the face of it they appeared to be very strong but actually what would have been better for the west at that time was to as soon as they met in berlin would have been to turn the gun straight onto the yes. onto the russians yes as a matter of fact um, uh, general patton i'm sure you're well aware of him yeah. he was the commander of the allied forces in uh, uh, in europe uh, and he actually said uh, as a matter of fact i've got the quote here if you'll bear with me for just a second uh, because we we need to move on here we got more to cover he actually said at the time this is before his <clears throat> accident. I'm doing the air quotes, accident. He says, Berlin gave me the blues. We've destroyed what could have been a good race, and we are about to replace them with Mongolian savages, and all of Europe will be communist. It's said that for the first week after they took it, meaning Berlin, all women who ran were shot, and those who did not were raped. I could have taken it instead of the Soviets, had I been allowed. Someone somewhere decided who was taking what and do we think it was the president do we think it was the prime minister no no i'll tell you who it was it was the rothschilds it was the the world bank it was that organization that was funding both sides of that war as usual as as is their modus operandi and it was them that was deciding how the world was going to be split up and how the borders were going to be drawn so and as a result we're here because of those decisions Uh, indeed, uh, mind you, I know we've got a lot to cover, but I've, I've said to you before, had it not been for the American Revolution, there would have only ever been one superpower in the world, and that would have been the United Kingdom. That global government that none of us want would have happened a damn sight sooner. 200, 
150 years sooner, perhaps. And that's why I'll joke about it, but I'm actually quite pleased and glad that the American Revolution took place, that the War of Independence took place, because otherwise we would be under that one rule. And it would still be not just a constitutional monarchy, but an actual monarchy that was that was ruling it as well. So, you know, this 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 idea of global government has to be resisted at every level we can, although this seems like uh, a, a simple territory dispute between China, Japan, Korea, the Philippines and the United States when it comes to places like Guam. It's not. It's, it's a move towards a global government, in my opinion, from my perspective, from what I've known and learned over the last few years. We know that Russia invaded Ukraine, obviously. I think everybody knows that. But who's paying for that? The Chinese, they're paying for that. They're bankrolling what's going on in there. Why are they doing that? Well, let's talk a little bit about what is not happening in Ukraine. What's not happening in Ukraine is you're not seeing, and Bruce, you were one of the first to point this out when we, when this first happened. You said, wait a minute, where's all like their elite troops and where's all the spetsnats and where's where where are, where are all the, uh, the 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 elite units and things that they have they're still fighting on like world war ii tactics where they're just sending in uh one tank and no infantry they're sending in wheeled vehicles in the middle of uh the spring thaw and everything's muddy you, you can't fight a war like that what are they doing they're sending in a whole bunch of conscripts and they're losing, you know, so many thousands of people, so many thousands of troops. And there was so much disinformation, misinformation. Then you had the Azov thing and, and all the rest of it, and the neo-Nazi stuff. And and uh, you had Zelensky and he's being paraded around everywhere because that's being done on purpose. Where's all of the troops? Where, where are their best forces? Where are they being kept? Why aren't they there? They're not even posted up outside of the Russian border waiting to come in for reinforcements. Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. They're in the Far East in Siberia. Why are they over there? This is another question that Nyquist pointed out. So Russia's best forces are deployed secretly in the Far East. Why? The answer? Because Xi and Putin are working together on this. So the strategic depth of their union is much bigger than anything we've seen in history. It is greater than the Soviet Union had in World War II. It's not like one country is attacking. It is global in scale. For the Russian military force, the tip of their spear is first their ballistic missile submarine force, which is not seen in Ukraine in, in the Ukraine war. Second, their intercontinental ballistic missile force, which is also not used in the Ukraine war. And this will play a major role in a future conflict in the Far East and in the Pacific. Follow up question. Will Russia move their northern fleet across the Arctic to the Pacific through the Bering Strait? This is where I asked you, Marty, but I'll get to the response here and then uh, you can jump in on this one because this one this one kind of uh, perplexed me a little bit. But I think it goes to a longer uh, game that the Russians are playing in the deal that they have with China. The response was because the Arctic Ocean will be another hotspot in the future. I don't think the northern fleet will be moved to the far east through the Bering Strait. The Arctic Ocean will be a point of interest for the U.S. and Russia in the future. My question to you, Marty, was what is so strategic? You, you being a, a career Navy man, what is so strategic about placing a fleet in the Arctic Ocean and moving it across the Bering Strait? Geography, basically. The Arctic Ocean gives the Russian uh, ballistic missile submarines the right kind of flight time for their missiles to hit targets in, in the US. Moving into the Pacific, they are more probably easy, easier to detect because of the activity of the US Pacific fleet. 
hiding in under the ice, uh, surfacing and breaking through the ice in the Arctic Ocean to launch is more viable than moving into a wider ocean to launch from there. But and I'm kind of leaping ahead of where I thought or the the direction in which this conversation was going to go. I mentioned during prep that the best lies are always kept between two pieces of truth. You know, we call it the shit sandwich. And I've got a, a strong feeling about a lot of what is being said in this interview could be misinformation. And and part of that came from a paragraph further down. But what is obvious, and if it's obvious to me, it's obvious to the actual people who are working professionally as defence analysts within that that sphere, that yes, the war in Ukraine isn't being fought with Russia's frontline troops. Yes, they must be somewhere else. So that just builds up the level of trepidation and fear of, of what the enemy's worst case scenario actions might be. And and yes, it could be an invasion across the Barents Sea into Alaska and into mainland North America. That could be what they could do if that's where their forces are. So the paragraph within the transcript of the interview is, uh, so how will we know when this war is going to start? What are we looking for? That's the, the question from Nyquist. And the person from Lude Media has said, the time frame depends on several factors. First, negotiation between China, Russia and the US. If these negotiations go very well, they will come up with a new borderline in the Pacific and they will then reach an agreement. In that case, we will probably never see a war. It goes on. But at the end of the day, with all the f- other frightening bits that have been in that message, they expected this to be leaked. They expected it to be read by other people and and populations. And as this disseminates into public awareness, the fear levels will be high. And so when the governments of the US, Russia, China and the other countries that stand to lose from this get into those, those negotiations, that new borderline uh, is more easy to achieve because the people won't want the war because it's going to be the most terrible war. So they'll look for the easy out. And the easy out is to give up those mutual um, you know, uh, protection pacts and agreements and just let China and Russia divide up that part of, of the Pacific and change yeah. the borders. Yeah. And this is this also goes to uh, what we had suspected a couple of years ago, that there was a secret deal between China and Russia, that Russia was to get Canada, Alaska, and China was to get the lower 48. This goes to the point that we'd said all along, China wants America, but they don't want any Americans in it. Russia wants Canada, but they don't want any Canadians in it. You know, that they're already saying that, well, no, we didn't sell you Alaska. We leased it to you. Now we want it back. They're already saying that. But they war-gamed an invasion of Alaska. The Russians did. They also war-gamed an invasion of Hawaii. Why would they do that? I thought the Russians liked the cold. But the Pacific Fleet is, of course, based out of Pearl. Correct. On Oahu. I've been there. I've seen it. It's massive, as in the fleet is massive. It was at least yeah. back when I was there. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a it's got strategic importance. It does. I mean, why? I was, under the, I was under the opinion that the Chinese would would occupy 
Hawaii. That's just my own brain working in, in, in what they would do, because the Russians, in my in my humble opinion, uh, and maybe you have a differing one, you're the naval expert, I'm not, but I don't believe that the Russians have the capacity to hold the Pacific with their fleet, do they? I don't think that they do. They did once. They did once. They did at one time. Yeah, during and, the Cold War, and China, and, uh, and China, until very recently, did not have the capacity but they have been allowed to because no one's been able to stop them. In fact, could they have stopped them from well, expanding their fleet and growing actually, their capability? Yes, they should have been stopped, but they weren't. That's actually, it's an interesting point you bring up. They should have been stopped and they weren't. The reason that they're building their Blue Water Navy as they are is because they're not supposed to have one. And so they ramped yeah. up production as much as they could. That wasn't the deal. The deal was... Is yeah, go on. Uh, sorry, right. That what you just said there. Um, I, I, f- I feel a bit like um, Oscar Wilde. You know, I I may disagree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death to yeah, defend to your right it. to yeah. say it. Yeah. Who the hell says they can't have a deep water navy? Who says the the, the United Nations? That, well, no, the people that made a deal with them to build their economies. Yeah, exactly. And so now maybe they've changed their mind. They've gone, okay, Xi Jinping. You can have a deep water navy now. In fact, we want you to have a deep water navy now, and we'll make sure that everyone keeps buying your products and keeps buying your. Um, I'm looking for the word: your coal, your gas, your oil, yeah, yeah. your commodities, yeah. yeah, raw materials, your, your resources, and and we'll make sure that you get a good deal when you want to buy all of Australia's iron ore, so that you can kill Western economies uh, that are based on steel and and construction. And that's how we would have been able to stop them. We'd have been able to stop them by stop buying their 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 product. Um, their but that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't happen, and and the whole world is is you know watching uh, or at least using Chinese electronics all all of the time now. So they've got this. They've they've, they've built up this capability within the Pacific, and they do have a deep water navy. Russia. At the fall of the Soviet Union, they had a massive navy, but that got split up between the the, the individual countries, and a lot of it in, in you know on the Kamchatka, Kamchatka Peninsula just rusted away. They weren't using it. The Russians never threw threw anything away. If a new type of ship was built, they'd just get new crew. The old type of ship was still kept in service, and therefore their forces were just getting larger and larger and larger. Until the fall of the Soviet Union, the you know the the whole Perestroika and Glasnost movement that happened all of a sudden, and and it rusted away. But they've they've probably been building up and building up as well under Putin's um, you know direction. And I, mm. I haven't seen any recent aerials uh, of the no. area, but no. and I, I haven't I haven't got any real clue as to what their strength is now, but. It could be that they're, they're the ones who get to look after Hawaii because they can hold a small chain of islands, but they couldn't expand much further. Right. Whereas China's deep water fleet has got that ability to, you know, reach out and touch other countries. Bruce, you got a comment there? Yeah, just uh, real quick. We were kind of just talking about uh, Russia's capabilities. One of the problems with what we're seeing with Ukraine and what's going on there, as we said, they haven't been using their better hardware in Ukraine. They've been using the cheapest modernized tank that they have. Uh, you know, the T, I think it's T-72, it's like three or B-3 or whatever the hell, however their designation is. But it, that's the cheapest modernized one that they have. 
we haven't seen them use the T14 uh, Armada yet. Well, that's because personally, I don't think it's because they have them shipped off somewhere else or, you know, they're, they're prepping for war. It's because they literally don't have any. And I don't mean any at all, but I mean, they have very few. In 2018, they were supposed to have nine of them uh, produced and ready and, 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 you know, delivered to the Russian military. They failed to meet that uh, quota. And then in, I believe it was 2020, they said 2020 or 2021 that they had 20 and uh, uh, that are being used for testing. And then the, the remaining 80 will be ready for use. I'm sorry, if you fail to meet nine of them, this is this was a tank developed in 2010 and they were supposedly gone into production after it was manu- you know, designed and everything. And they started uh, apparently kicking them out, except we've seen no evidence of it. it, it the the company that one. made them failed. We've seen one, yeah. haven't we? We have seen one. We've seen pictures and everything of one of them in testing. But again, that's only the, the one tank in testing. We haven't seen any others. Now, the capabilities of the tank it does seem like it's a good, it would be a fairly um, good tank. It, it, it might give uh, the Western um, tanks a run for their money. That's very true. Um, they have many defense mechanisms on there that would protect it against many of the weapons that we use against tanks like the Javelin. Uh, they have a, a, a better protection on the top armor of the tank to deflect those rounds, um, reactive armor, so on and so forth. That said, I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're building up forces or or any of those kind of things elsewhere. They they have their uh, more modernized, more expensive tanks. They they typically keep them around Moscow and kind of in that direction, and they move them around, you know, in in there to kind of keep the Western world on their toes. But these, you know, the T14s and you know, uh, no, I don't, I don't. I don't think they have very many at all. If they have a bunch of these. That is one of the most well-kept secrets that Russia has ever done, if they have a, a slew of these tanks. Yeah, and they, uh, mentioned, so. they mentioned in there, uh, he, he was asking specifically about the T-14 Armadas, and he was asking if there was a, a joint Chinese-Russian venture to have those built in a secret location with a secret factory somewhere, and maybe in Inner Mongolia or one of the, uh, you know, one of the border areas up there. And to the best of his knowledge, to the uh, best of Wong's knowledge, he said no. He said, I don't think the Russians share that with anybody. Uh, and they'd be smart not to, quite frankly. Uh, I don't think even your uh, even your ally there, China, I don't think, especially that, uh, I don't think I'd want to be sharing that uh, with China. But to move all that stuff, let's just assume for the moment that they have that. How are they going to move all this stuff? This is what caught me from the beginning of this a few weeks ago when I first heard about this um, uh, this secret recording that was smuggled out of China, which most of those people, at least according to reports, most of those people have been rounded up, arrested, interrogated, investigated, and executed. Uh, the ones that got or that are responsible are tied to people that are responsible for uh, for getting that recording out. But uh, Nyquist asked the question, we see the Chinese military preparing. We read the transcript from the 56-minute meeting. We read about how over 900 ships are to be loaded with military equipment. We read we read about 64 row row ships, which is a uh, it's an acronym for a roll on roll off ship of 10,000 tons. If they're going to besiege Taiwan instead of invading it, what islands are they going uh, are they going to invade with those ships? So my question uh, to that was, I thought that was going to be possibly some kind of landing force, uh, maybe on the west coast of the United States. That was my guess. But the Chinese, that, then I remember the, the deal that they made around a month ago, and they cut a deal with the government of the Solomon Islands. And at the time, they said, 
well, we have a military deal with the Solomon Islands, but we're not going to build a military facility there, which means they've either already got one or they're in the process of building one. Uh, Marty, you've been down through there. They also mentioned Guam here. So what's your take? If they're outfitting that many ships, that size, they have to be going somewhere. I mean, that that's that's too big to take to Taiwan for what they want to do. It's just a simple blockade up there. Uh, and I know it's I mean, it's not that simple. But in, in terms of this, a blockade would seem more simple than 64, 10,000 ton roll on, roll off ships, uh, it, which you're not going to do that in an island, which is largely mountainous anyway. That doesn't make any sense. Guam, which, by the way, that's U.S. territory. Uh, and then, of course, the, the pact that they have with the Solomon Islands. You've been in that part of the world. You're familiar with the region. What's your take on hearing that? Well, as you said, the terrain of those islands is quite mountainous. mountainous. Mountains aren't a good place uh, for tanks. Yeah, those ships will probably be mostly men and equipment, um, not necessarily main battle tanks, but the kind of men and equipment you need to take and hold lots of small islands. The other thing is, if Taiwan is the Taiwan is the target and we haven't gone full nuclear exchange, then the most important thing to um, China and the rest of the world is that what currently the rest of the world buys from Taiwan can be continued to be reproduced. So you're going to have workers, you're going to have technicians, you're going to have all those kind of people transported across because the Taiwanese don't want to be Chinese. Well, in fact, they still call themselves China, but they don't want to be communist. So are they going to cooperate? Are they going to work with the invading forces? Probably not. So therefore, part of that 900, if if that is you know, truth, part of those 900 ships will contain the kind of people that can keep those factories in Taiwan running as or get them running again as soon as possible. They also um, make, yeah, go ahead. No, no, after you, because uh, th- this this can wait because it's, yeah, yeah. I want to get okay. back to the T-14. One thing that they mentioned in here about uh, about nuclear arsenals, they, they're moving, and let, let's talk about this for just a minute. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but they're moving their military convoys around inside of China, and they're disguised as civilian convoys, medical convoys, COVID convoys, whatever. Uh, and they make mention as to how they communicate. In the interview, they say that most civilian communication is ignored. They're using the civilian communication channels to move these convoys around. And they also make mention that uh, they'll be looking for a type of a nuclear blackmail strategy, as in, we're going to nuke you, do what we say, and there won't be any nukes and there won't be any war. That's nuclear blackmail. That's that's really what they're, which is not blackmail at all. It's just a one-sided threat. So Russia, China, both of them say that they have ballistic missiles at present within their own countries that can reach the US. Is that true or is that not? And I'm just looking here to give some people peace of mind. China may have missiles that can reach across the the Pacific into mainland America, at least to the um, Pacific Northwest. However, that's a lot of ocean to cover from from land. There's a lot of things that can be done to stop those missiles ever reaching their targets. And one or two nuclear strikes, even at multiple megaton warhead level, wouldn't be enough to do what they want to do. So I think they need to get closer, which is why perhaps these um, these island chains are being targeted to get closer so that they can use their existing 
ballistic missile capability to threaten America. So However, a modern day Cuban missile crisis, more or less. Yeah, yeah, it, it, essentially. However, the 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 piece in the in the interview about the uh, the Chinese moving things around, and again, we mentioned this in prep, so I'll just cover it, recover it now while we're on air. The military of the West, you know, the Western allies monitor everything, civilian chatter as well as military chatter, and anything you know, that that's encrypted and frequency agile. They've got people working on it to know what they're saying. They've got linguists, they've got um special, you know, decoding cryptologists trying to to break these codes. Back in the day before I joined the Navy, I was in the army for a short time. And one of the things that we were taught uh, is how to man an observation point. And if that observation point, for example, was in a city, for example, Belfast, the people in the observation point would write down everything that happened in that street every day. And and that would be handed over to each pairing that went into the OP. As soon as something happened that was out of the ordinary from that daily, weekly schedule that had been plotted over, you know, when they, they first got there, for instance, mothers coming out in the streets and ushering their kids back indoors at four o'clock when the normal dinner time, tea time, whatever you want to call it, is at six o'clock would be cause for concern. That would give an indication that something was about to go down. A bomb attack, a shooting, uh, a kidnapping, something was going to happen in that area because something was happening out of the, the ordinary. In the interview, he's talking about pretending that they're moving vegetables and, and produce around. That would be picked up on that would be that would have been monitored why is that going out over radio chatter rather than telephone or email again all of which each side is trying to monitor each side's communications it would be easier to send it through private encrypted communications that they control that like digital communications yeah yeah, yeah. but even those i mean well, I've got a, a great fear that just about all of our communication systems are compromised because we've bought far too much electronics from that part of the world. You know, the the back doors that could be in the chips, the, the radios, you know, and, and they're software configurable radios these days. They're not just a load of valves and, and set tuned transistor circuits. They're chips that are configurable by software that can make them into whatever type of radio you want them to be, UHF, VHF, you know, that's that's how far we've moved on. That bit again sounds to me like a bit of misinformation, a bit of a mislead, uh, a bit of a you know. Oh, that sounds real to someone who's got absolutely no experience of of um, intelligence gathering and communications monitoring. Who's going to go? Oh, they're doing that. Are they? Oh, that's really clever. Oh, that they must be moving something important. Yeah, so, talking about carrots and celery and potatoes and the and cabbage and everything. I mean, that that would be kind of uh, your. I see your point. That would be kind of obvious. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention and and is about the thing that Bruce brought up about the T fourteen. And I, I don't know much uh, about the vehicle itself. I know it's uh, you know Russia's uh, new main battle tank and and at at the the state of the art as far as Russia is concerned. They don't need that many, is the truthful answer. Uh, they've got plenty. I mean, if you look at the, the distance in time, it's called the T-14 because it was designed in 2014. 
the T37, the T sorry, the T34, the T72, um, there's 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 sort of 38 years in between those. So there's uh from 72 to 2014. Hang on, my math is terrible, but you know, there's nearly 40 years difference. And in that time, technology has moved on. Yes, they've developed their own form of reactive armor. Our UK's main battle tank is protect, protected by its own form of reactive armor, which remains absolutely UK eyes only. It's secret. Um, simple as that. But the point I'm trying to make is if if we go back in, in time, let's let's say to 1815 on the battlefields of Belgium for Waterloo, a platoon was 120 men or even maybe a bit smaller, maybe 50 men was a platoon. Uh, and they used to platoon fire. So they're um, muzzle-loading rifles and muskets. You need lots of them to ensure that enough rounds were effective when they reached the enemy lines. Leap ahead to 100 years, to 1915, a platoon is now about 30 men because you don't need as many as you did with muzzle loaders, as you do with breech loading Lee Enfields, or light machine guns and heavy machine guns like the, the Vickers and the um, Lewis gun. So as we move forward in time and as the arm race, arms race continues, you need less of something to do the same job. So the numbers of tanks, if they had nine, how many years ago did you mention? Bruce, I can't quite uh, remember. It was 2018 is when they were supposed to deliver nine and they failed to meet that. We don't yeah. know how many were actually delivered. So we're looking at for, uh, roughly four years. And if they have managed to ramp up their production and make it happen, it could be 50 to 100 tanks now, which believe you me, 100 state-of-the-art battle tanks is a formidable force. However, the concept of trying to use them in Alaska... And these small islands is barking mad. It's not what yeah. they're for. Yeah, they're exactly. there for the, for, um, you know, plains lands like the Battle of Kursk, the biggest tank battle ever happened across the Russian steppe. We were able to use them in the deserts of Iraq because it's a desert and actually fairly flat. It wasn't mountainous. Um, of Europe. course, there are rocky. We yeah, and again, you're 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 driving across a central plain using your tanks. That's what main battle tanks are for. Canada, then Canada, you've got. Uh, I the the only place I've been to in Canada, um, I've got to be honest, is Vancouver. Now, of yeah. course, you've got a massive natural harbour there, right? And they've now got a good road road network, and you wouldn't have to push very far south before those tanks um, could come off that road network into plains, into into the northwest and, yeah. and, Start and going the Midwest. Start going across Alberta and then uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, all the way over into uh, Ontario. Yeah, well, you would, you would still have you would still have the Rockies and everything. You would have to get cross exactly. Right. Get across. The last yeah. thing you want, the last thing you want to face in a tank is a mountain range. It's a mountain range, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's the first thing you're going to run into if you if you were to land on you know Alaska or uh, Canada. That's the first thing that you're going to run into is the Rocky Mountains. Same thing with the U.S. If you actually yeah, landed, Chinese. you could take the West Coast, yeah, uh, but then you have to get across the Rockies. Um, yeah. Then you have the planes. And at that point, if you've already in a scenario, they attack and they land on the West Coast. Uh, by the time you get across the Rockies, 
you're already meeting a, a there, there's going to be a massive tank battle in the plains area because they've already mounted all the the national guard from all the other states have you know mounted their defenses and at that point the minute you start uh you know making headway over those mountains that you just you're they're going to start popping them as they come over and the logistical so supply line matter. you need to back up what you what you have on landfall on the west coasts to be resupplied yeah. from across the pacific that's just not even feasible and, and that's exactly what i was about to say you know the fuel to keep those vehicles pushing in the direction of their attack would run out very very quickly Especially because there's not any oil. I mean, there's very little oil being actually refined and everything over there. So even if you were to take that area on the West Coast, you're not going to have oil locally because it's not being manufactured there. That's all in the Plains area. So it's definitely going to be a, a, a losing battle, I think, if they were truly going to try to land, uh, make landfall on the U.S. They would yeah. have to come through like the southern yeah. border. Yeah. Um, okay. So... I Look, we, we could go on and on and on about what's in this, but we covered the most important parts, at least I thought, within an hour's time, 45 minutes to an hour's time. I will ask either one of you because uh, we can cover other points that you have. That's what I wanted to cover. I wanted to hit the main points of uh, of what is discussed here. I know there's a lot more to this interview, and I do apologize. Obviously, we're welcome to take some other points from either of you if, if you have them, so... Uh, is there anything that I didn't pick out and that we didn't discuss that you want to add to this before we end it? I think it's necessary to add because I, I've mentioned what I think this is really all about. This, this, this is, in my opinion, I see this as a deliberate leak and I think Nyquist is being used. Uh, and there's a lot of truth inside this. This is, um, this is the thing about uh, conspiracy theorists. The proper tinfoil hat dribbling, window licking conspiracy theorists that are out there, they mix too many things together and put mysticism and all kinds of lizard men and ancient aliens and this kind of stuff into some facts. And that means that the real message doesn't get heard. It's just white noise that makes the prophetess Cassandra, I've mentioned her before, always cursed to prophesize correctly but never be believed and that is the problem that i see with this with this interview there are lots of truths in there but the lies that i think are in there are there to mislead the whole thing is created to raise fear levels so that when those negotiations for that new border in the pacific take place that the people of the west who should be supporting what our long-term allies now in Japan, in South Korea, in Guam, in the Philippines, they should be supporting them. That support will disappear because they are scared of a nuclear war. And exactly. they've got every reason to be scared of a nuclear war. So I'm glad and you brought this to our attention. But you, at the same know, time, we... You, I'm sorry to interject, but you also do know that if we lose our allies in the Pacific, we're also by de facto uh, just... Uh, Screwed. By, yeah. We're, we're, well, not only are we screwed, not only are we economically and technologically screwed, we're also going to lose Australia as well, by yeah. default. Well, he, he goes in, in the interview about the fact that the Labour Party have won the election. Yeah, but that was a foregone conclusion. That was a foregone conclusion. Well, it was a <laughs> foregone conclusion, but you look at how much Scott Morrison's government had worked with the, the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. Yeah. which is totally barking mad that a conservative uh, has done more 
with a communist country, crony capitalist, but with communism communism as their control method. This is the uh, yeah, their strategy, population though. control. This is the yeah. communist scissor strategy. They've got you on both sides. They'll literally, they'll have one side, as in, as you're talking about, the Morrison, quote, conservative government, they'll have that government working with the Chinese Communist Party, and it will piss off the people to get them to vote the other way, which they already control anyway. So they've got you yeah. coming and going. And and like you say, who we, we'll be talking about, uh, sorry, yeah, of course, Nyquist himself, even in, in the US, I believe where he was, was told he had to be a communist to be an educator. Yes. And yeah. and I've seen it, um, you know, the infiltration of our education systems by communists. They're groomed, they are brainwashed, and then they are put into our education system. And that's why we've got so many left-wing antagonists coming out of our universities and colleges. Well, that was, that was instrumental by the Marxist-Leninists, uh, especially at the time out of the Soviet Union was, look, we're not going to take over the teachers. That's a that's an ineffective way to do things. We're going to take over the schools that teach the teachers. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yeah. And, and so all of that said, and I've probably now forgotten most of what I've just said, in my opinion, the article, the interview was there to raise levels of fear when it gets leaked and get it gets disseminated, it's also there to disguise and give misinformation. But there are elements of truth in it because that's how a good lie is told. So let's let's go away, pick out some bits that we think are truth, and perhaps revisit it in a couple of weeks' time. That sounds good, Bruce. You got any final points you would like to make? Yeah. So let, let's say just for the sake of argument, Russia and China does try to do something. The problem is uh, something as in more than just Taiwan. Uh, they they try to make a move on the West. I think that is suicide. I, I I think that will be that will be the death of them. Even if they're able to to lay a killing blow to the to the West and do massive damage to them, it's going to be mutual destruction. I mean, uh, both sides because China has it's uh, it's where it's at because of the West and the West has become more and more reliant on them. The West can survive without China. We can survive without them. It may take us a year or two to get things ramped up to yeah. you know uh, replace the missing bits, but we can live without them. Same with Russia. So if they did something, if they're going to try to blackmail with nuclear uh, warfare, again, the policy is you nuke us, we nuke you. You may annihilate us, but we're going to annihilate you. I mean, Nobody that's wins. just the way it is. Nobody wins in that scenario. Uh, in fact, if they think them, themselves to be the superior race and that they're going to whatever, you know, similar ideology to the, the whole Aryan race or whatever for the Chinese, um, if they think they're going to take over the world, uh, I'm sorry, once you start lobbing nukes, that's it. I mean, you, you, it's done for a bit until that radiation is, is diminished. And more than likely, if you nuke the West, I, I don't, it depends on who's in power. We'll put it that way. Depends on who the president is and who the leadership is, because some are a little bit more uh, generous, shall I say, when it comes to, to laying down nukes. Some presidents will just be like nuke the military targets and, you know, the, the government and those kind of things. Others would be like glass the whole place. Um, so, I don't know. It, it really depends on what they're going to try to do. It, it, it honestly. So anyway, in conclusion, if they did do something, it, 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 it's going to end up in their own destruction as well. So uh, I think this is just 
saber rattling at this point, uh, if you will. Um, the, the, the bit about Taiwan, I legit think there is going to be a move on Taiwan. Will it go any further than Taiwan? I don't think so. I, I honestly don't. I, I do think China is going to try to make moves elsewhere and move westward from China. Yes. But I, I don't think they're going to actually try to get into the Western world by force. They're going to continue doing it uh, deceptively, cloak and dagger, yeah. as they they'll have a, been. Yeah, yeah. They'll cut a deal with uh, with what parts of the Middle East that they don't have deals with already. Uh, they'll do whatever they can. They'll probably let Russia keep their their warm water port in Syria and Tartus, and they'll cut a deal with uh, with everything else going south because they need that road into Africa for what they need for resource uh, for resource extraction. So. Well, gentlemen, I, I want to thank you guys for for both coming on today and to discuss this, uh, Marty. Like I said, I know that um, I know you normally do your uh, your one day a week. It's quite a bit to uh, to drag you on uh, for two days a week because I know you're busy. But this one I thought deserved your uh, your take, so I appreciate you being here. Uh, you're welcome. I'm glad, like I say, I'm glad you brought it to our attention. But people need to read it and read in between the lines, just like yes. we read in between the lines of the 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations for Agenda 2030, you need to read between the lines of this and uh, and have a healthy level of scepticism about everything you're reading. Well said, sir. For those of you who would like to send us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up? You know someone you're trying to get to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, thank you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Bye, everyone.